0: Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we can come to you, we're thankful that we can seek inspiration from your word, we're thankful for you reaching out to us for sending your son Jesus to come to this earth and be the sacrifice for our sins and for the opportunity that we have for redemption of our sins. And eternal life with thee. We pray now that you would bless us in this day with your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to feel your presence, that you would help us help those who are struggling to restore your relationship with them, that you would work in their hearts and lives. We pray that you would be with those who are believers, who that we could be encouraged and that we could gain new strength to serve you. And we pray for each of us that we would live lives that would honor and glorify your name. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, um, Evelyn got a notification on her phone with a Bible verse, and today is the, uh, the day of Pentecost, and so I'd like to, uh, I wasn't really thinking about it this week, I was actually, had been studying uh, a different topic, but I was uh, kind of consumed with this thought of Pentecost this morning, and I'd like to read from Uh, Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together, and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all those which speak Galileans. And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia in Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt and in the parts of Libya around Cyrene and strangers of Rome "'Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, "'we do hear them that speak in our tongues "'the wonderful works of God.' "'And they were all amazed and were in doubt, "'saying one to another, What meaneth this?' "'Others mocking said, These men are full of noon wine.' "'But Peter, standing up with the eleven, "'lifted up his voice and said unto them, "'Ye men of Judea and all that dwell at Jerusalem, Be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet of Joel. And it came to pass, in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams." And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren... Let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption." This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstools. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter saith, un- said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, that ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Whenever I stand up here to preach, I have this inner struggle. Uh, Actually, before I ever stand up, I have this inner struggle. And it uh, goes something like this. I want to be led by the Holy Spirit. I also want to present the word of the Lord in a logical and uh, forthright manner. In a reasonable way. And I have this, I have certain uh, things that I bring here, certain um, predispositions or biases that I come. I want to be able to drop all those, and I want the word of God to go forth unhindered. And every time I think about that, um, I am... uh, Troubled, oh, or challenged. When I grew up, uh, originally most of our ministers were very spoke very extemporaneously. They would open the word and speak extemporaneously. And as I got older that started to change, there was more prepared sermons. And so I kind of grew up with this, I don't know, dichotomy, and you know, my, my parents were always kind of traditionalists, and my, my mom told me once, she said, well, you know, if a brother just gets up and speaks extemporaneously, opens the word and speaks extemporaneously, it's easier for me to accept what he says is from the Lord, right? Versus, if someone gets up and they speak, especially for the second and third time on what I perceive to be their pet peeve, then I I, uh, I take that with more of a grain of salt. She didn't say that. I added that. <laughs> but um, so as I approach the word, you know, I, I see I, I see benefits in in. Uh, I see benefits in, in studying the Word, and my approach is you know, that I always try to prepare, I always try to spend time studying the Word and preparing, but my thought is that it's more important for me to pre- be preparing my heart than necessarily being preparing a, a script or specifically what I'm going to say. And so, as, as you've seen, sometimes I, sometimes I detour, uh, perhaps significantly, from uh, what I originally thought I was going to talk about, and other times, um, it's, uh, I, I stay more on script, so to speak. And today, I'm going somewhat off script here, because this wasn't really what I was thinking about during the, during the week, although some of it carries over, but as I look at this word today from Pentecost, as I started thinking about Pentecost, I started to see this challenge that we have as Christians in this dichotomy, perhaps, if you want to say, between the mind and the emotions, and then in between someplace, the Holy Spirit, right? Right? So, if we look at, uh, if we look at the, the scripture today, we often think of this as a very extemporaneous uh, event where the spirit fell in its power and people, were, they had these tongues of fire over their head and they went out and they started speaking and the people that they spoke to, they all heard them Heard them in the tongues uh, in their native tongues, and they understood this. The understood this the scripture and understood what they were saying, even though they weren't of the same nationality. They weren't of the same uh, language as the uh, as the apostles. And sometimes we, I don't know. Sometimes we confuse. I think the Holy Spirit with a very emotional event. I'm not saying that when we, we feel the Spirit that, of course, often we do feel these emotions, we feel the power of God coursing through us, we feel the presence of God, and sometimes these uh, these these feelings or this the power of the Holy Spirit does cause us to become very emotional. If we look at uh, Peter here standing up after he was filled with the Holy Spirit, of course, Peter, by personality, this was, uh, uh, he loved to speak extemporaneously in his unconverted state, sometimes to his detriment, but we see the Holy Spirit taking that same personality trait and using it here to be able to stand up and give witness of what was going on, of what the Holy Spirit was doing here in this day. And he spoke against the, the thoughts of those whose interpretation of was was that uh, these people are all drunk and uh, this is really weird and sometimes as as Christians when we see the Holy Spirit when we see the Holy Spirit in its power sometimes you know thoughts I think pass through us through our minds especially of those of us that have these uh Spirit of judgment that uh, we can't turn off sometimes to our detriment, but uh, or it could be the spirit of discernment, depending on the day and time. but we have uh, when we we see sometimes these emotional events, especially from our our coming from our background we we tend to be somewhat skeptical, right and The danger is, of course, that we could potentially hinder the spirit, we could potentially quench the spirit. On the other hand, we know the danger is that, you know, if we merely, if we mistake emotion for uh, the spirit, we could be led astray. That, uh, you know, similar to the Bible class this morning, that we could be drawn away from following the word of, of God, following God's strict commandments, and we could start listening to our emotions and think, well, it doesn't really matter, it's not really, a, not really as important as we think, and um, develop this dependence on what we feel as opposed to what the, uh, the Lord says in his word, the Lord's given us. And so, when we're trying to discern the spirit's working, you know, I think that a lot of us we go through this this same kind of uh, wrestling with the spirit, or wrestling with our our minds, our our thoughts, our logical uh, our our logical thinking and also, at the same time, wrestling with with our emotions, how we feel, the things that are, uh, the hormones that are coursing through our bodies. And I, I wanted to kind of look at some examples here in the Scripture, in the New Testament, of how the Holy Spirit worked. So, interestingly enough here, Directly before this, of course, we have the account of how the apostles chose a replacement for Judas, how they chose Matthias. And this, to me, was very interesting, the the approach that they took here. It said uh, they wanted to choose someone that was with them from the beginning of the baptism of John. I'm reading now from Acts 1.22. And uh, they wanted someone that uh, was, had been with them the whole time, not only from Jesus' beginning of Jesus ministry, but all the way back to John's ministry. And I'm a little somewhat mystified by that. seems like a very a very, very conservative interpretation. Uh, at this point, they, the Holy Spirit hasn't been given, but this seems like to me this seems like this is coming from the the logical uh, the the logical side of the of the brain and from the, the left side of the brain. And they also then they prayed so, the Holy Spirit wasn't there, but they were praying, they were connecting to, to God and trying to understand God's will in verse 24 of Acts 1. And then, finally, in verse 26, they cast lots. So, this, of course, goes back to the New Te- or the Old Testament with the, the high priest wore his vesture and he had... This urum and thumban, which uh, I'm going to loosely translate into uh, into what we would call today, we would say, you know, this is like heads versus tails, like flipping a coin in a, before your your sporting event to determine uh, determine uh, who gets to uh, kick off or receive in football, for example. But so basically, it was used to answer questions. You would put a question forth to the Lord, and the high priest would uh, would pull out either Urim or Thummim, and uh, depending on which one he put out, this would would answer the question. This was so. This was a way the way that they used to to cast lots in the Old Testament, and it seems to parallel what they did here. Here, by they had two people, and uh, one was Matthias, and the um, was was chosen out of the two people. Barsabbas was the other. Okay. So, this event occurred before the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples. So, I guess if I look at this, I have to say, well, is this really the pattern we should use in... Uh, in, uh, as we're trying to follow the Holy Spirit in our lives today. And interestingly enough, as far from what I could see, that uh, there's no other place after this in the New Testaments where the apostles used the casting of lots, where the apostles went back to the Old Testament and paralleled the use of the high priests uh, Thummim and Urim. So, looking farther here in the New Testament, going to Acts 13, Um, this was at Antioch, and the uh, brothers there got together, and they, they, it says in verse 2, Acts 13, they ministered to the Lord and fasted. And the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. So in this situation, we see that uh, after the Holy Ghost had, had fallen upon the apostles and the disciples, that as they ministered to the Lord and they fasted, that they received a specific calling of the Holy Spirit to send Barnabas and Paul for missionary work. Now, I often wish that perhaps that uh, this was a little more specific about what would the, the Holy Spirit, how was the Holy Spirit manifested here? How did, how, did they, how did they know that this was from the Holy Spirit? Was it just the fact that only believers were praying here and that they all came to consensus that this was what the, the Lord wanted and therefore the consensus of the group of those filled by the Holy Spirit became what What uh, what they felt was the leading Holy Spirit was it someone that had some type of prophetic utterance that got up and spoke? You know what what exactly uh, what exactly drove the 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 idea or the knowledge that this was from the the Holy Spirit. So interestingly enough, though, we have a very definitive. It's very definitive that this work was driven by the Holy Spirit. So now, what's the next step? Uh, It doesn't say that the Holy Spirit told them what the next step was. But, for some reason, they departed unto Seleucia, and thence they sailed to Cyprus. So, Interestingly enough, of course, Barnabas was uh, originally from Cyprus. So, looking at this, I see you know, some type of you know, logical thinking here. It's like, how did they even know? Well, should we go west or should we go east, right? <laughs> I, I don't know. But they sailed to Cyprus. So it almost seems like this initial decision of where to go, at least, was, was perhaps driven by some type of, of uh, logical thinking. Um, it doesn't say that it was from the Holy... It, doesn't, it says they were, fu- they were sent forth by the Holy Ghost, but it doesn't say why or where, where they were sent forth. And, of course, um, this... Led to uh, was the, Paul's first missionary journey, and if we look at some of the things that happened on Paul's missionary journey, I'm going to skip to Acts 16 now. And this scripture always fascinates me. Acts 16:5. So were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now when they had gone down throughout Phrygia Phrygia, and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Again, notice here, they had direction from the Holy Ghost not to preach the word in Asia. Again, we do not know how this was manifest to them. After they came down to Mysia, they essayed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. Again, direction from the Holy Spirit, not not to go into Bithynia. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. So here we see Paul receive the vision at night. For those of you that dream or remember your dreams, of course, sometimes your dreams are are very clear, our visions are very clear, and sometimes they seem very, very muddled. But Paul Paul took this as a, a clear vision and as the leading of the Lord, and they went and they decided they were going to go to Macedonia. And loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracea, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. Okay, so, well, Macedonia, of course, I, I got a call to go to Macedonia, but where, where in Macedonia, right? This is not just a single, not a, a, a single point of latitude and longitude. And so what did they do? They went to the chief city. Perhaps this shows some, uh, again, shows potentially uh, logical thought. We don't read that the, uh, the direction here was specifically from the Holy Spirit, And uh, where did they go? Well, they found out there was this place by the river where prayer was wont to be made. And they sat down and they spoke with the women which resorted thither. So, one of the things that Paul seemed to do is that whenever he went someplace new, he just automatically went to the synagogue, or here he went to where the prayer was being made. He would seek out the nearest, uh, the nearest collection of, of Jewish believers or those that were seeking after God in some way. And as far as I know, we don't ever read that uh, he spent a huge time in prayer thinking about uh, if he should go someplace else or if he should just go to the synagogue. But if we look at his pattern throughout the Acts, that you know, this was something that was his, his first approach. So again, this part seems to me to be uh, driven perhaps more by, by logic than by a specific leading of the Holy Ghost. And if we go on here, uh, we know how Lydia was converted. Again, interestingly enough, she was from a city of Thyatira, which, of course, is one of the places that they were, were uh, forbidden to go. And yet here she was, and she was baptized in her household. And then we know, of course, that eventually that Paul and Silas that uh, they preach the word and they get thrown in prison and the jailer and his family are converted. So if I look at, if, if I look at the way the early, the early disciples approached things, that they were very sensitive to the Holy Spirit, they were very open to the Holy Spirit, and yet it seems that there was also this balancing logic that lacking specific direction from the Holy Spirit, that they would, as Elizabeth Elliot used to always say, do the next thing, right? When you don't know what to do, do the next thing. Take the next step. This is the best I know given what the Holy Spirit's told me, and given what what my my thought pattern is, my predisposition, let's go try this. Right? Sometimes the Holy Spirit might say, no, no, that's not the right direction, but then at least I go. As Brother Dave has often mentioned too, it's a lot easier for the Lord to a lot easier for the Lord to work in our lives if we are on the move, if we are trying to make progress in our spiritual life. It's when we stop It's when we stop trying to understand the Spirit, when we stop trying to listen to the Spirit, that we can easily get bogged down, that we can easily become discouraged, and that Satan, it's much easier for Satan to take a hold in our lives. If we go back to Acts 2, we see the results here of the Holy Spirit's working we see that 3,000 souls came forward here and that uh, were convicted in their hearts. And they asked, Men and brethren, what shall we do then? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall also, my words, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So we see here that the, the Holy Spirit's working that uh, Peter's standing up and, and speaking, just doing perhaps what would be his logical thought pattern or his, his personality, just going with the flow, being moved by the Holy Spirit, but also you being used to use his body, soul, and mind as the Lord made him and fa- fashioned him. We see, we see the great results that it had here with the uh, 3,000 being sold or being saved. In the day and age that we live in, we hear a lot about big data, artificial intelligence, at least in my circles, and uh, that, you know, it's important that we, we have, uh, we use logical decision-making, right, that we use database decision-making. And I agree that that's very important. For us as Christians, though, somehow we need to be able to bridge the gap between logical thinking and the listening to the Holy Spirit, and being guided by by the Holy Spirit. Interestingly enough, there was, uh, in history, before the American Revolution, there's kind of a, almost a parallel of some of this uh, time that we live in today. In the early 1700s, we had the beginning of the Age of Reasoning, there was a, a movement towards uh, more logical thinking, uh, more emphasis on the reasoning reason, reason of the man, and churches began to suffer. People started to feeling less connected to the church. Um, but something wonderful happened. And I'm going to tell the story through the lives of Jonathan and Sarah Edwards. Jonathan was born in 1703, Sarah in 1710. Jonathan was the only son of a minister. He, became, he entered the Yale at the age of 13, or not even 13, and he became intrigued with the writings of the Enlightenment. John Locke in particular. In 1727, when he was 24, he married Sarah Pierpoint, who was age 17. Her father was also a minister and was the founder of Yale. That year, Jonathan was also ordained into the ministry, and he spent 13 hours a day studying. So, Evelyn, it's not quite that bad. In 1728, the next year, the first of their 11 children were born. And in 1733, there was a revival that began in his church, and 300 young people came and became members of their congregation. Now, Jonathan Edwards Uh, His preaching style has been called, uh, by uh, Christian History magazine, early funeral director. And the way that sermons were delivered back then is that they were written word for word, and they were spoken word for word, just like we tell every one of our students not to do nowadays. Do not read your slides. Please do not read your slides. Do not look at your slides and read your slides when you're presenting. And in spite of this, this revival began. And in 1739, uh, George Whitefield came from England, and the Great Awakening was in uh, full bloom here in the United States. Many people were coming to the Lord. Uh, Many of these experiences were more emotional. Uh, ecclesiastical, and uh, Jonathan Edwards' wife, Sarah was uh, one who experienced these these types of of being overcome with the Holy Spirit, um, even from her, her early age. And so he spent a lot of time studying her experiences and trying to determine the difference between, you know what is the work of the Holy Spirit? and what is not the work of the Holy Spirit. And this came to a head in his his church here in about uh, 17, between 1745 and 1748, they admitted exactly no one for baptism. And Jonathan insisted on that for those to be for those members that to be members of the church, they had to exhibit a holy life and not just an emotional experience. That a lived Christian experience, a Christian experience lived by the Word of God, had to be present before he would accept them into the membership. And this led eventually to his uh, his being. Uh, de-enlisted as a minister from the congregation, and he and Sarah went to the Berkshires, and they began a missionary, uh, became missionaries to the, to the Indians that lived in the area in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. In 1757, Jonathan was appointed president of Princeton University, and in 1758, he died because he was one of the first to take the smallpox, to be inoculated for smallpox. So, I became interested in Jonathan Edwards because in high school, our American literature teacher made us read his most, fermi- famous, his most famous sermon. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. You sinners, you are like an insect that we humans have, have, have uh, stuck on a stick and we're placing it over a fire. We have complete control over you, and without repentance, you are going to hell. Uh, uh, my uh, American Lit teacher was kind of an agnostic, and so I think she wanted to, I don't know, wanted to show us how terrible us Christians were believing in such a thing. But uh, this kind of had the opposite effect on me because I started studying, studying more about Jonathan, Jonathan Edwards and was always interested in, interestingly enough, in uh, Christian History Magazine, it says, this is, not, <laughs> this, is, this is not his typical sermon. His typical sermons were about heaven and about love, and yet this is what he's known for sinners in the hands of an angry god so somehow in our day in our age today you know i think that we we face similar challenges here we are christians we are viewed as those that are are preaching about sin about the about how terrible sinners are And we're seen as somewhat out of touch. Here we see in Acts, we see Peter listening to the Holy Spirit. We see Peter talking about sin, about how the nation of Israel has crucified Jesus and how they are responsible for this sin. And yet we see the Lord working through this and many coming to a knowledge of God, being baptized and being filled with the Holy Spirit and spreading Christianity throughout the Roman Empire and throughout the whole world. And today, we still face the same challenges that Jonathan Edwards faced, is how do we tell the difference between the working of the Holy Spirit and the lived Christian experience and the, uh, those that are living the truth and how do we walk that in our own lives how do we how do we walk out how do we step out in faith and be moved by the holy spirit and yet how do we use the rational mind that god has given us how do we take our as peter was used on the day of pentecost how do we take this poor this these this poor fragile Human being that God made, and how do we? How can we be consumed by the Holy Spirit, and how can we walk in the Spirit day by day? And um, I always liked the uh, the dichotomy of Jonathan's life about this this continued desire to to marry, to use both. The logical mind that God gave him, and also, but also to be open to the spirits moving, to be ready to to accept these experiences that his wife had that he did not fully understand, um, and to somehow bring this together, and to um, to be able to share with people the word of God, and in spite of the fact that. He personally was not someone who was a very emotional preacher. The Lord used him to bring many, many to Christ. Not only that, but he and Sarah's union, generations upon generations through the, in the U.S. have produced the following. One U.S. Vice President, one, treasure, one, one controller of the U.S. Treasury, three governors, 30 judges, three US senators, three mayors, 66 physicians, 100 overseas missionaries, 65 college professors, three college presidents, and finally, many, many ministers. So I think with the age of reason upon us again, It's important that we follow the Holy Spirit. It's also important that we acknowledge when when we don't have direct leading of the Spirit, perhaps just doing the next thing, going to the next place, and trying to discern if the Spirit is leading us farther there or if the Spirit is shutting the doors, trying to discern that again. And I think that You know, that we can, in the day of big data, database decision making, artificial intelligence, that we can still use the Holy Spirit to influence the world, to influence others for Christ, to preach the gospel, and to share the word as we try to live our lives as Christ has made us and has purchased us as his possession. And we pr- I pray that each of us will be filled with the Holy Spirit and that each of us will be able to live out God's work in our lives by trusting him and going forward and stepping out in faith even when perhaps we don't know what the next step is.